here's the thing. Let me ask you this question. As we start off this morning, by the way, this is the last uh, of our series before we start a new series. Uh, are there any perfect families here? Would you raise your hand? Anybody have a perfect family? Anybody have perfect kids? Raise your hands. Anybody please stand up. Perfect. Yeah, we think they are, right? I got news for you, buddy. And uh, meet me after service. But the reality is this, right? We, we, we are all broken. How many of you have messed up families? Would you raise your hands? Yeah, just take a look around. And I want you to take a look around. I had a lady that sent me an email and this was a, a little while back and she's a, a single mom in our church and she's an awesome lady. But she sent me an email and she just told me how much she was struggling with her kids. She's struggling raising them and, and just uh, they were making some bad choices. She said she looks around our church oftentimes and she says it looks like a lot of families kind of have it together. She said, and I just kind of feel like my kids are the only ones that are messing up. And, uh, and she said, and this was the key word in that, she said, I feel very alone. Have you ever felt there? You ever feel like maybe that you're the only family that's going through something challenging or difficult or whatever? And the reality is, is that we are all broken. And I, 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 I immediately shared back with her. First of all, let me tell you something. Uh, my family is jacked up and you need to know that, okay? And secondly, I've been pastor of this church for a long time and I promise you, we got some seriously messed up families in this church, all right? I'm not looking at anybody directly. But, but the truth is, as you saw us raise our hands, we're all broken. We all have a dysfunction in our families. We all have kids that are going to make mistakes. They're people just like we are, right? And the reality is, is that when you look in God's word, do you know that there are no perfect families in here either? You can start all the way, go all the way back to Adam and Eve. And, uh, and, and, and what do we see in that family? You see a murder in the very first family. Well, that's a great way to start off, would you say? You think there's a little, some stuff that's messed up there? Absolutely. Keep following the line of, of, of humanity and what are you going to see? Brokenness all the way because of sin. You're going to see it in Abraham. And yes, he was a great man of God. Adam was and Eve, great people of God, right? You see it even in the lives of people who love God. You see Abraham, did his family have problems? Yes, they absolutely did. Read some of the story. What about Isaac? Yeah, Isaac had problems within his family. How about Jacob? You know, just keep going down the line. Jacob and his favoritism and his parenting, right? Think about Joseph and all of his loving brothers. Boy, that was a family that knew how to put the fun in dysfunction, correct? I mean, they're messed up. Why do you think God allows us to see that in these families? What about David? Well, his family, his own son tried to usurp his authority and take his kingship and David made mistakes. And I mean, there's so much that you can look at. Wait about, what about, uh, uh, wait a minute, what about uh, Mary and Joseph? Well, that's about as good as it can get, right? They're raising the son of God, but what do we find? Even even Mary and Joseph, as awesome of parents as they probably were, God picked them to raise his son, right? What do they do? They forgot Jesus in the temple for three days, okay? Right? So even in their parenting, they were flawed. I kind of wondered, I wonder how CPS would look upon that today, correct? But the reality is, why do you think God so transparently shows us that all of these people are messed up because what have we been saying and what do we always say here at EBC? God uses broken, messed up people, amen? 
And so if you are struggling in your family or if you are going through some difficulty in your family, I, I want you to know that you are not alone. Parenting, as we said in the first week, can bring us some of our greatest moments of joy. I love being with my kids. I, I've experienced great joy, but, but I know that also there are some of you who are here this morning, this series has been hard for you. It's been a struggle for you. It's been emotional. Bart, the things we've been talking about, I've done my best. I, I did these things that you're talking about throughout the series, right? And just like that mom said in the video, I don't know what happened. Somewhere along the road, uh, you know, something happened with my kid or my child, or maybe they're very far from God or they're very far from us. And, and, and you know, so, so parenting not only can bring you some of the greatest joy, as we said in the first week, parenting for some of us has been some of our greatest hurts and pain as well. We've experienced pain in our parenting. And for some of you, maybe it's not a child that has rebelled. For some of you, maybe it's in your family, there was a brother or sister that was the rebellious one. Or maybe for you, you have a parent that, that has kind of gone haywire recently and they're in midlife crisis and they're making bad choices and you feel like as the child, you're trying to parent them, right? There could be some of that. Maybe for some of you, it's a friend that's gone off and we wonder, uh, what do we do whenever, whenever something like this happens, when there's rebellion in our lives or in the lives of somebody that we love? Well, how do we handle this? Well, I wanna take you this morning to the word of God in Luke chapter 15. It's a familiar passage. It's a, a powerful passage I've preached many times. And in fact, a year ago, I was in this passage, but I was coming at it from a different angle last year. I truthfully could do an entire series on this, on this Luke chapter 15. It's an incredible passage of scripture. But as you're turning to Luke chapter 15, I want you to remember that God is our model parent, that there are no perfect parents here. God is our model. Here is what I want you to understand. Take some notes on this, write this down, that God understands the parental pain of having a rebellious child. God gets this. If you feel like you're alone, God, God says, I, I relate to this. I understand this. In fact, in Isaiah, comes up on the screen, look at this. Listen, oh heavens, pay attention, earth. This is what the Lord says. The children I raised and cared for, everyone say it with me. What have they done? They have rebelled against me. Well, if anybody knew or understood the pain that of, of loving somebody and caring for somebody and pouring into somebody and blessing them over and over again, only to have them maybe turn upon you or to rebel against you, I mean, God understood this and, and, and God understood the pain and understands the pain of watching people make bad choices. He's seen it. He's a perfect father. God is perfect in being a father to us, flawless, perfectly balanced in grace and in truth. Remember, we talked about that balance. God is perfect in balancing these things. And yet the Bible is a book that is filled with one story after another of one rebellion, one right after another. It seems like only the only thing that's truly consistent is our consistency in messing up and being broken, right? And God's perfect and how he loves us. The question comes up whenever a person makes some bad choices, well, whose fault is it? And is it the, is it the parents? Did they do this? Whose fault? And I think of the lady in the video who was a youth worker at one point and she was seeing some kids who were making bad choices. I think of what she said in the video is she was kind of assuming that the parents must have done something. And she was assuming this until something happened. Do you remember what it was? It happened to her. 
And she understood that there was something that was going on that she had no control of. It happened to her. Her point of view began to change whenever it happened in her family. I loved her honesty and admitting the pride and maybe some of the presumption that she felt uh, in her thoughts towards parents who have kids who are struggling. You know, we live in a world that loves to shift blame. We can shift it. We've seen this from the beginning with Adam and Eve. We shift it to somebody else. We might shift it upon our environment. We may shift it upon certain circumstances in our lives. We shift blame to other people. But here is a biblical truth that I think it's important that we, we take note of today. Write this one down. Number one, write this. The responsibility of rebellion lies with the rebellious person. The responsibility of rebellion, when it happens, it it lies with the rebellious person. Now, certainly there are things that can happen in the life of a person that make it easier for them to rebel. But the bottom line is it always has been and it always will be the fault of the one who chooses to enter into rebellion, which is why whenever we did this series, as I've done some series in parenting throughout the years, Uh, I wanted to be sure that in this series, we didn't say like, all right, here is this perfect formula that if you do all of these things and take all of these right moves and make these right moves and take all of these steps, you will plug this in, you will have the perfect family. Or, Or me to dogmatically state that if you'll just do these certain things and put them in the right environment, then bingo, everything is gonna work out perfectly. You're gonna have the perfect step for family, right? I didn't wanna do this in this series because Here's the thing, very early on in my parenting and in my flaw within my personality, my thought is, is that I could kind of control all of these things. And if I'll just plug in this formula here, then my kids are gonna turn out perfect. But there was a big problem with that kind of mentality. You know what the problem with this? I wasn't considering something that's very important in the entire equation, the kids, right? Because every child is different. And, and we need to take into consideration that every child has the ability to make a choice, that they are created with choices. They have an individual will. They have the ability to choose. So here is what we would say as another point and something good to write down is parents have great influence, but not ultimate control. We have great influence and we've been saying throughout the series that we wanna seize the moments that we have with them. Don't waste our opportunities and the time that we have while they're living in our homes. We wanna pour Christ into them as much as we can. We wanna love them. We wanna parent them and bring them up within the Lord. Not being passive and passing that off to a youth pastor or a children's pastor, right? We wanna be the primary disciples of our kids, but. But here is the, and I still stand by that, but here is ultimately what we have to understand is we are not in control ultimately of our kids. We can do our very best. And just thinking biblically here, I wanna take you back to to Genesis chapter three for a second. Adam and Eve in the perfect environment with the perfect father, who is who, right? God, perfect situation. And yet what do we see? a rebellious choice that was made. We see it over and over again with the old, in the Old Testament in Israel. And, we, and we, we wonder, why does God continue to put up with this? A perfect God and Father, right? What do we see? Continual rebellion, consistent rebellion, and consistent love by God. 
That is what is modeled throughout scripture. And what have I seen in my own life? If I'm honest, I've seen consistent patterns of messing up or growing complacent or even having some rebellion in my own life and, and where God consistently loves me, right? And think about it. We've seen kids in horrible environments that, are, that, that have no advantages, maybe socioeconomically or whatever, turn out to be some of the most amazing people. And yet we also have seen some who have been given every possible financial advantage, who have been placed with great loving parents who are around them, who have taken them to church, who have poured Christ into their lives. And what do we see? Sometimes they turn into some of the most rotten people that you know. So what are you getting at? I want to get back to the thing of saying that it lies with the choice of the child ultimately at some point. All we can do is our very best. You say, Bart, why are you getting to this before we get into Luke 15? The reason I'm getting to, to this is because here is something that, that I've noticed throughout my tenure here at EVC, and, and I, I've even done this myself, is, is I think a lot of parents beat themselves up with some false guilt and that we carry a lot of false guilt. And listen, I do believe that we all should always be doing our very best and loving them and, and teaching them about God. But I think a lot of us unnecessarily carry false guilt within our lives. And sometimes it's our fault as pastors that a lot of parents carry that because we presume that if everyone will just plug in our perfect family formula, then everything will work out. And I just wanna humbly say that throughout my tenure here, if I've ever made you feel that way, I am sorry because the truth is, is that you could be doing all the right things, but your child still has a choice to make and you can't control every decision that they make. Sometimes those of us who have been given children uh, who are more compliant, and I'll just say, my, my kids, uh, they're not perfect kids, but they, you know, Luke was a handle up to four years of age. I will tell you that he was a mess. But here's the thing, I can almost just kind of look at my kids and they kind of fall in line. I know for, I mean, give them the look, you know, the look. Some of you, that wouldn't work with your kids. And I know that, it, that, that you've tried everything and they still are rebellious. And so I, I think that some of us can have a false sense of pride in thinking that we are producing these awesome, great kids and we should do the very best that we can. But, but, but I just want you to know that if you're carrying this guilt then, then God wants you to move forward out of this because you can't make decisions for them. Let me give you some context in this passage, right? And, and what I really wanna get at as we get into the context of this passage, no matter where you are in your parenting, no matter whether your family is doing really well right now, no matter uh, whether your family is struggling immensely and maybe you're struggling with a child or your kids as a whole, whatever, here's the bottom line. We all need Jesus, amen, right? All of us do. Every single one of us, there's not a perfect one here. So in the context of Luke chapter 15, this famous passage, again, I preached it over a year ago, but I came at it from a different angle. And it's the story of a father and a rebellious son. He's known as the prodigal son, right? But you may know it as the lost son, the story of the it could be called also the story of the loving or forgiving father that's probably better named. It could be called a tale of two sons. It could be called the tale of a, of a begrudging brother because in this context of the story, Jesus was telling it because the religious leaders of his day were very upset with him because 
they felt like he was lowering the standard for what it meant to follow God and what it means to be close to God. Jesus was doing something that none of them would do. He was hanging out with sinners. He was around those people, people who were broken and lost. He wasn't participating in their sin, but he was ministering to them and he was connecting with them. He was going into their homes and Jesus would show the very religious people who were being critical of him how often their hearts were very far away from God. They may know all of the the rituals and the religious rules, but all of this, but they had no cultivated relationship. Remember in the first week we said, we don't wanna just have rules without relationship. Well, Jesus was developing relationships with people who were broken. And he knew that he was being criticized for this. Jesus was showing the relational side of God. And so he tells a story and he tells first a story of some loss of a lost sheep. And he tells the story of how the shepherd, the good shepherd would go after the one that was lost. He would leave the 99 to go get the one and to bring it back. He tells the story of the lost coin and how the owner of the coin lost the coin, this woman, and she would turn the house upside down to find the one coin that was lost. And the celebration happened whenever they would find that which was lost. And Jesus then tells this touching story of the lost son and how this son rebelled and how he came back and how the father celebrated uh, the broken, not just the brokenness, but that his broken son was restored. And, and, and that the older brother is a representation of the religious people and he gets upset with the father and he grumbles about the father's grace and he grumbles about his forgiveness. He's begrudging of what God is, is, is demonstrating here in the greater context of the story. Now, I'm, I won't spend time on that part of it today. I actually did that a year ago. But Jesus shows these principles to his listeners. Why? Because he's revealing the heart for those who are lost and are broken. And he's revealing the heart of those who are critical uh, and who are religious. That is the overarching context. So what do we learn? Write this down. That God is a God who has a heart to restore and not to destroy. We so often think that God is a God who is angry, that he's, that he's just wanting to destroy us, but he's one that is seeking to restore. So as we read this story, I want you to put on a set of special glasses. Read it out loud with this kind of idea of what does this story say about the rebel? What does it say about rebellion? What does it say about God's response? And that the response that we should have towards those who make choices that are bad. So put that lens on. Some of you may identify with the father today because you're in this place of seeing someone that you love make a bad choice. You may identify with the father. Some of you, you may identify with the rebellious son and maybe you're making some bad choices in some rebellion right now. And and some of you, you may identify more with the fed up brother. And and again, I, I won't focus on him today, but one thing I will point out is you'll see that the father goes to the fed up brother in the end too. And so he is a pursuing father. He loves both sons. Now let's read the Bible together. Now, by the way, I can relate to all of them. And at some point in your life, you probably can relate to all of them. Luke chapter 15, verse 10 says this, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents, even one repents. 
there's a party that is thrown in heaven. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate. When does it say, church? Say it with me, when? Now, before you die. Now you need to know that this is a Jewish audience that Jesus is speaking to. So all of these words that Jesus is saying, they are shocking. This is a shocking thing to be said in this specific culture. Now that's bad enough in our culture to say something like this, but knowing the context of this culture, it is shocking. He says, it says this, so his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. This request from the younger son, it was, it was something that shocked the listeners as Jesus is telling this story. It was as if the son was, was saying to his father, I wish you were dead and that I would have coming to me. I want what I have coming to me. But the reality is he wasn't the older son. He really didn't have anything coming to him. And so they were shocked by this. It showed the heart of this younger son and how selfish and how entitled he was, how hard-hearted he was towards the father. And he's in essence saying, I want you out of my life. Says a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and he moved to, everyone say it with me, a what? A distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. There were some choices that he was making, right? They were his choices. The father didn't drive him away. I want you to notice that. He made choices. About this time, about this time, his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. Isn't that how it always starts to go down, right? They get to a rough spot. And it says this, that that it says he persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. Jewish listeners, not kosher, right? The lowest situation a Jew could find himself in. As Jesus is telling this story, their jaws are dropping even more at what was going on. What was Jesus getting to? The point was he was in a place of desperation. He was in a place where the consequences of, of what he had chosen were starting to catch up with his sinful choices. And we often, isn't this the way it goes down? We often end up doing things and being in places that we never think that we will be. And this is exactly where this young man was because I certainly don't think that whenever he left his home, he thought, I sure can't wait to chow down on some pig slop. Last year, I even showed a picture of what that pig slop looked like. If you remember, he goes on and he says this, the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Party was over. Um, some, hello, Lord, is that you? Okay, I'll keep preaching, all right? He said to himself, when he finally, where was I at? I don't even know. You're gonna have to help me, Lord. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. So friends were gone, party was over. Nobody had compassion for him whatsoever. Verse 17, everyone say it with me. When he finally came to his senses, Now, this is a Jewish expression here. And this Jewish expression was not that he was was just sorry for the place that he was in. This This is an indication, and they began to understand this, that he was actually sorry for his behavior. 
that he realized that his behavior was hurtful. He was ready for a life change. This is what we would know as repentance. And he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father. He's rehearsing it, right? And say, father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as just a hired servant. No demands, no more entitlement. So he returned home to his father. And while, look at this, this part always gets me. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Now I wanna say something about this, okay? Because I always, I always try to get this picture in my mind of what's going on. Now I believe this, that I'm sure the father was often casting glances toward the horizon, looking out, hopeful that his son would return, keeping a watchful eye. But I also wanna say this, I feel that the father also must have been carrying on with business. He had another son, didn't he? Another son that needed to be loved. I don't think that he just sat on the front porch alone just there. I think at some point you have to move forward in life, right? Probably living prayerfully, but knowing that the child had made choices that were his own. He was moving forward, but probably prayerful with these hopeful glances that something will finally get the attention of his son and bring him back home where he belongs, he's looking off and he notices the probably just a gate of his son that only he, a father, would be able to recognize his child, right? We know what they look like. We know what they sound like. And it says this, he saw him a long way off and filled with, I love this part, love, compassion. He ran to his son. He embraced him and he kissed him. Jesus just keeps unpacking one shocking statement right after another because you need to know that for a father to run, an older man to run, they did not do this in this culture. So he's saying that this father saw his son in an abandonment, in this abandonment and this love for his son. He does something that's countercultural. He runs to his son. Fathers did not run to sons. Sons were supposed to run to fathers. They were supposed to come to him. Men did not run in public like this, okay? So think of how intentional Jesus is in painting a picture of how God is with us. That it was undignified for a man like this to run to a broken person. That's what he's showing. But this father ran to the son. What was he filled with? It says compassion says he was filled with love. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we have been fattening. By the way, everyone in the household was celebrating and happy except for, for I, I was thinking about this, for the older son, and I also thought the fattened calf was not happy either, okay? <laughs> we must have a barbecue. Let's celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was, say it, what? Dead. He had mourned. He had grieved. But now he has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And then I love this part. 
So the party began. Do you remember what he's doing? He's trying to show us how God feels about us. We're the rebellious son, all of us, at one point or another. Such a powerful story. It shocked the listeners because things did not fit with their culture. But Jesus is reminding us of the love of our model father, how he loves us, right? There are some great takeaways also for us to reflect upon. And let me just give you these just kind of in these next closing moments is some things to think about. If, if you were to come to me and say, I, I'm struggling with, with maybe a child or struggling with someone, or maybe you were to come to one of our pastors, we most likely would sit down with you and we would say, maybe over a cup of coffee, let's just kind of t- look at this passage. Let's just kind of pull out some principles that we see here. Remember this, that Jesus is making a point of the heart of the father, but he's also showing us some things that we can draw upon as a parent and understanding and dealing with a rebellious child. Now, I wanna tell you that these takeaways are not easy, but it is what we're gonna see in the scripture. So they're hard, but they're truthful. Are you ready? When you're dealing with a rebellious person, when they insist on leaving, let them go. I noticed in this passage, that the father in this story didn't chase him, didn't argue with him, didn't fight about it. He let him go. The story never says that he just sat on this front porch doing nothing with his life either. It doesn't say that. He had another son that needed love. It doesn't mention anything about a wife in this particular instance. That's not the point of the story. And I'm not saying this point to be calloused or to say that the father was callous because we clearly see that he was not. He was very compassionate, but the father had to carry on with life. And I think in many cases, when we're dealing with someone who is rebellious, and we've all been rebellious in some way at some point, but when we're dealing with someone who's rebellious, we can oftentimes let that person who is gone or in their rebellion dominate everything else that's going on within the family. And if we do this, this person that is chosen to leave can end up being a catalyst to, to wrecking relationships that are still intact if we're not careful. And we have to be certain, I think in, in, in many cases that we have to be certain that those who are in our lives, that we're not neglecting them, those who need us right now. You might have a spouse that needs you right now. I've watched in situations like this where it, it, it causes such a division in a marriage that sometimes marriages end over brokenness with children like this. Or another child, you might have another child that needs you right now. Their, their siblings need you right now. Sometimes it's those people who end up getting punished the most. And we have to be careful that we're, that we're not neglecting those that God still has in our lives at this moment. I'm not saying that we don't pray for the rebellious person because I believe that we do. I'm not saying that we're not concerned for the rebellious person because I think that we should be. But if we don't let them move on, then we can let their sinful choices not only wreck their own lives, but wreck an entire family. And so we have to be sure that we are loving those who are in our lives at this point. Thinking of the model father, God longs to be in relationship with all of us, right? This father certainly longed to be in relationship with his son, 
Now, whenever I say let them go, I am coarse and meaning that that is age appropriate. I'm not saying you give your five-year-old a suitcase and pack their bags. I know some of you wanna do that. But the truth is, is that at a certain age, when they get to the age where they say, I'm leaving, you have to let them go. Here's the second thing, right? When things get rough, and by the way, don't they always, don't run to the rescue. You cannot run to the rescue. At that point, we talked about it a few weeks ago, so I won't belabor this. We talked about it, how some of us can be lifeguard parents where we're constantly rescuing our kids from consequences of their choices. And the truth is, is that they never learn. I heard another pastor say this, and I think it was powerful. He said this, we, if we soften the blows, we often enable and lengthen the rebellion. If we are the ones that are constantly softening the blows for them and and every time they make a bad choice, we go and we rescue them out of this. And I know we wanna do this because we love our kids and we think it's the most loving thing that we can do, but honestly, it may be the most unloving thing that we can do is to not allow them to experience and to learn reality is that consequences are coupled with choices. Therefore, if you want good consequences, make good choices. We have to let our kids learn this. I was watching a program recently uh, on some folks who were in prison, they were incarcerated. And it was so interesting because there was a 21 year old girl and this girl did not look like she belonged in prison, but she had made some bad choices in her life. She got into drugs and the wrong crowd. She said, I had no idea how I ended up in this place. I couldn't help but think of the story as I was watching this show. And then she said this, she said that uh, at times before this, she said, my dad would just kind of rescue me out of situations. Well, they sent, she said, my dad put me in a rehab. I left the rehab and he came and got me and I thought he was rescuing me again. But do you know what her dad did? Because she had stolen things from him, her dad took her to the sheriff's department and she was arrested. And she said, I was so mad at him. But in the, in the course of this program, she says at the end of the show, she said, my dad's hard choice is what saved my life. She said, it saved my life. And she said, I haven't told him that yet, but I will. We have to, we have to allow those consequences to play out within their lives or they don't, they don't learn, right? Well, what do we do in the meantime? By the way, think of if the father, the loving father would have gone, he knew there was a famine, he gets word that his son is feeding pigs and if he'd have gone and he'd have given him some more money, do you think that would have fixed it? No, he never would have learned. He never would have come to a place of brokenness. God stays put. What do we do in the meantime? We pray, we pray. We never stop praying. It's the most powerful thing that we can do. Don't underestimate your prayers for them. Here's the other thing, and this is gonna be big for some of us who you're in this holding pattern right now because it's just wrecking you. We surrender. We, we give this over to God. God wants you to live at peace, surrendering this over to him. You're surrendering them. Remember the first week we surrendered all of our kids. We surrender them. You, you live in this place of surrender. And then here's what we do next. We wait. We wait and we rest. And we look to the Lord to be our strength. And that's where some of you are today. And it's hard and it hurts. And here's the final thing. If they return, what do you do? You run to greet them. 
just like the father did. I love this part. He returned home to his father and while he was still a long way off, I want you to note the order. Look at the order. This struck me this week and it just touched my heart. His father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son and he embraced him and he kissed him. What I noticed this week in this passage is this is that the kiss came before the confession. It came before the confession. Remember this ideal, this is the ideal model father who's responding. This isn't some human being, so I know that we're not gonna be perfect in how we handle this, but I want you to see that he's modeling this for us. It's what God does for us as we are in our rebellion. It's a model. The shock to these listeners was not the son returning home, the shock to these listeners was the gracious response of a father who had been wronged, who had definitively been wronged. What did he do? He embraced the child while he was still in his filthy rags. What does scripture say about our righteousness? Our righteousness is as filthy rags. He wrapped his arms around him. He didn't say, go clean yourself up before you come to me and then we'll talk. Some of us really need to hear this today. Lord is wanting to impress this upon you. We do not change our lives in order to get God to love us. God changes our lives when we experience his grace. And then we begin to see our lives transformed. He threw his arms around him. Here's something else for you to write down. Here's your final thing. There is a difference in acceptance of a person and approval of their behavior. There is a difference in accepting them as a person and approving of their behavior. The acceptance says, I love you, child, because you are my child. God made you and I love you, but I do not approve of what you are doing. You can accept a child or a person without approving of their lifestyle. You can still accept them. The language of acceptance is always physical. We see he ran, he hugged, he kissed him. He's affectionate. We see the actions of forgiveness. Quick, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. What do we see going on here? The robe was a sign of restoring his identity. His identity, it was covering the filth of his past. The family ring was a sign of, a sign of family privileges again. It's authority as a son. And just a reminder, okay, just as restoring the relationship doesn't remove the consequences, we have to be reminded of this. We have a bed for you, we have food for you, we have a place for you at the family table, but by the way, you spent all of your inheritance. It's not, it's not removing consequences, it's restoring position. Position as a member of the family. Shoes, what were they a sign of? It was a sign of dignity. He gave him his identity, he gave him authority back, he gave him dignity. He would be treated as a son because slaves did not wear shoes, sons did. This is what he's doing. The fact is the story shows us how God deals with our rebellion. That's the primary purpose of it. We've taken matters into our own hands. The Bible says we've all sinned, we're all broken. There's not a perfect family. And when he says this, if you are the one who is broken, when you are ready to come home, you will be received as a son and as a daughter. I would just invite you just to pray with me. As we pray, let me just ask you this question, okay? Let's start with this. 
Aren't you thankful that we have a God who is a God of many chances, amen? A God who loves us, who is gracious with us. Now, I know that this story has a happy ending. I do know that the older brother, he, he's upset, but I also know this, that the father even goes to the older brother who is upset and he loves him too. Remember who is Jesus speaking to? He's speaking to religious people who are critical of his grace. You might today be relating with the father. You might today be relating to the rebellious son. Maybe today you're relating to the older brother because you've been hurt and you're in agony. Here's what I can tell you that God wants you to do today, no matter where you find yourself in this story. He wants you to give your hurts to him. You see, because he is the only one that can heal them. He is the only one who is in control. Maybe today as you've recognized yourself as the rebellious person, you see yourself as the son who has run away from God and today you're in the pig pen of life and you long for the grace of a loving father. Remember this, the point of the story is to show us how much God seeks, how much he pursues, how he never stops loving those who are lost and how he celebrates us whenever we take that step back to him. It just takes one step. What does he do? He runs to you. You see, you have to take that first step in faith. Maybe you've even made, you know, these things up in your mind of what the response is going to be like. This is why Jesus gave us this story is to show you how God is with you. That he's ready to receive you. You don't have to clean yourself up first. Come to him just as you are. Father, we are just so grateful for your grace. Lord, and for those of us who maybe are angry with someone who has hurt us or hurt another, would you just today remind us of your grace in our lives? I know that is a big point of this story. You were reminding the Pharisees that you love them too. Father, today, I ask you just to bring healing to parents who are, who are just struggling today. Lord, parents who are agonizing over decisions that maybe some of their kids are making. Lord, we just pray that you would just help them just right now, just to release control to you, to rest in you, to keep loving their children, to keep praying for them, but Lord, to rest in you in knowing that ultimately you are in control. So Father, may your peace just, may it just wash over us today. Lord, I thank you for your, your abandonment in the way that you love us. You don't hold anything back. I thank you, Lord, for your, your reckless love for us, how you run to us. And we celebrate that today in Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with me as we sing this final song?